Hello, I'm Riley, and this is the Diegetic Advancement Podcast. Okay, today I want to talk about the namesake of the show, Diegetic Advancement. Let's begin by defining the words individually. Diegetic, from the word diegesis, meaning in the writer's own voice, is most often used to describe music in film or television. Diegetic music is that which is occurring in the context of the story and can be heard by the characters, whereas non-diegetic music is that which only the audience can hear. A simple definition would then be existing or occurring within the world of the narrative rather than something external to that world. I'll discuss what this means for role-playing games later. For now, on to advancement. The process of promoting a cause or plan or a development or improvement. Specifically for role-playing games, this is typically used to, uh, in, in reference to characters leveling up. This can be abstract in a game like Traveller, or more concrete in a game like Dungeons & Dragons, where we actually have levels. Now, for combining them together, diegetic advancement is character improvement which occurs in the world of the narrative rather than outside it. I would argue all advancement, at least in Dungeons & Dragons, is diegetic though perhaps it exists on a spectrum. I want to dive into some examples so that we can see what makes something more or less diegetic. But first, why should we care? I confess, I'm a gamist. I play role-playing games mainly for the joy of gaming over other pursuits that one can have and get out of RPGs. So for the most part, I judge mechanics or systems in games on their merits as game mechanics. So I don't have an issue with hit points and armor class being abstractions for a game rather than attempts at emulating reality. And if a player dies mid-session, their replacement just materializes with the remaining party. And players can use fire against trolls without the sin of metagaming. So why should I care that advancement occurs in-world rather than outside it? Well, said I'm a gamist but that doesn't mean things like flavor, context, believability, or realism can't enhance the game. Would Monopoly be the same if the properties were just colors and not named? If Ticket to Ride had no trains? If the sushi weren't so damn cute in Sushi Go? Of course not. So, in my opinion, game comes first, but only game doesn't necessarily make a good one. Adding context and flavor can enhance the game and potentially add additional game elements. For example, Training in AD&D is more realistic, sure, but it also ensures that the game time is passing, allowing for other game mechanics to come into effect. And context adds stakes. If you weren't playing as a character, would you feel the risk of combat? So, if you accept my argument that game is important and can be enhanced by context and believability, hopefully you can see why diegetic advancement can be beneficial. Part of the enjoyment of D&D, at least for me, is the risk and reward elements. Having context of a real character makes the risk elements of the game feel risky, and having advancement feel real makes the reward worth striving for. Okay, let's look at some systems to see what makes something more or less diegetic. Let's contrast early D&D, modern D&D, and new school D&D by looking at BX, 5th edition, and CAN. Let's look at one, how you gain experience, Two, what do levels mean? And three, what do you get when you advance? Okay, we'll start with Ken, because it's easy. Because there is no experience, no levels, and therefore you don't advance, right? Well, 
like my earlier travel example, Cairn has diegetic advancement by emission of advancement rules. Yes, I know you can get better in Traveller, and Scars probably count in Cairn. You get better from accumulating resources, wealth, magic items, influence, like status and favours, and from things that happen to you, if you lose an arm in the fiction or make a deal with an eldritch being. Now, I'm a big into the old fan, but I don't think Cairn has advancement, which is more diegetic by emission. That would imply that all other systems lack what Can has, which isn't true. So whilst I'm a big fan, I find myself wanting more. BX. How do you gain experience? Fighting monsters and getting treasure. You get experience from doing the things that you're meant to do in the game. So that makes sense. If you want to gain experience in carpentry, you do carpentry. So if you want to gain experience in dungeoneering or adventuring, you should dungeoneer and adventure. What do levels mean? Well, they're an abstraction of a character's power and status in the world, and this is demonstrated by class titles. A level 1 fighter is a veteran, and by level 3 they are a swordmaster. This implies levels exist in the world not only as an abstraction of their power. The existence of name level, where a class will often develop a stronghold and gain followers, reinforces this. However, there's not much mechanical support here. What if my fighter doesn't want a stronghold? Or is super secretive? Where do the followers come from? Now, what do you gain when you advance? Well, for fighters and thieves, they get better at the things they were likely doing. Dungeoneering, fighting and thieving. Most of the time, this will make sense. The activities they had to do to gain the experience are the activities that improve. For magic users and clerics, it's a little bit wishy-washy. Magic users were likely casting spells, thus gaining experience casting. But... Where do their new spells come from? And for clerics, why would their gods be granting them more divine power? I suppose if they were destroying creatures considered unholy, recovering artifacts, or donating gold to the church, that's less of a guarantee than it is for the case of the fighter or thief. So in some cases this looks okay, but others a bit spurious. So, all up, there are some elements here that are diegetic but we're still lacking the mechanical support to make levels and advancement truly diegetic. Now, let's look at 5th edition. How do you gain experience? Fighting monsters is the default, and whilst this wouldn't make sense in BX, where classes have more defined roles, classes in 5e are all built to fight. So you gain experience for what you're meant to do in the game, again. The alternative system, which seems to be more popular, is milestone experience where you are rewarded experience or levels by the Game Master for achieving story-significant things. A side note, I really don't like this, or XP for just killing, but that's another topic. So again, you gain experience for things that occur in the world, so diegetic. What do levels mean? Well, here it's just an abstraction of your power level. There's no mechanics tying it into the world, even if the BX ones were spurious. And what do you get when you advance? This is where 5e truly starts to break down. It suffers from the same problem that BX does. Where do wizards get their spells? Do they really have wish in their spell books at level 1? But worse is character abilities. Characters gain the, the abilities that would normally be gained from magic items in BX. So just by leveling up, your fighter might hit level 3, and bam, they can manifest 
manifest an echo of themselves? What story significant milestone would give them this ability? And all the various abilities that their party members get? Or how'd they get this just from fighting? Now, there are games that handle gaining experience points more or less diegetically than what I've presented here. For example, some skill-based games have you gain experience by using the skill, either getting critical successes, critical fails, just the number of successes. Um, and then some other games will reward you for out-of-game stuff, rocking up to the session, bringing snacks. That is definitely non-diegetic. However, this really isn't a big issue for me. I see the method of gaining experience really as a incentivizing mechanic for players. In my opinion, XP systems should reward players for doing the things the game wants them to do. It should, al should allow them to be proactive, choose their own goals, and it should be clear when and what they earn. This is why I don't really like the 5e system, particularly Milestone, but I think XP systems are mostly diegetic anyway. I mean, gold for XP is an abstraction, but you're really gaining the experience from overcoming the challenges between you and the gold. So instead, I want to focus my attention on the other two things. What do levels mean, and what do we gain when we advance? However, that will have to wait until next week, where I'll provide some examples of making these two things more diegetic, and show why that can make for a better game. If you have any thoughts on diegetic advancement, what game to do it well, how it affects your enjoyment of the game, or anything else, please call in and share your thoughts. Details will be in the show notes. Okay, next up I want to talk about a product. This week, from a recommendation from Sam, uh, whose call in I played in last episode. Ministry War Games, March 1997, a UK magazine, um, had a good article on Matrix gaming, and it's even in a fantasy setting. So Sam was responding to a request for thoughts and advice on the Wargaming campaign that I'm currently running. I couldn't find an online version, but it was fairly cheap on eBay. Uh, so I purchased it and it's arrived. It's also a short article, so I thought I'd quickly go through it and uh, share my thoughts. So the article is by Arthur Harmon and it's titled An Alternative Fantasy Campaign System. And it fairly, fairly succinctly summarizes what Matrix Gaming is and how you could use it in a fantasy campaign. I'll read the introduction and then highlight some key points. And I'm quoting now. Perhaps like me, you have often finished an exciting fantasy novel in which to recreate the imaginary world described therein as a war game, but abandon the idea upon realizing it will be a long time before the campaign can begin because of the time needed to draw up detailed rules. Or maybe, also like me, you purchased Mighty Empires after seeing the eye-catching map hexes, but developed a headache halfway through the rulebook, and have left the game in its box. Don't despair. There is a simple solution to the problem, which has been used by historical wargamers for some years, but has not yet, so far as I'm aware, been adopted for fantasy games. The Matrix game, invented by Chris Engel of Indiana. In this article, I shall endeavor to explain how you can use the Matrix game format to create easy-to-play, enjoyable games that don't require hours of preparation. One of the great advantages of this format is that children find it easy to assimilate and to play, so the Matrix game could be the ideal introduction to fantasy roleplay for a youngster who has perhaps just finished The Hobbit, 
and wants to participate in the game based on a story he or she has enjoyed. Okay, well that sounds promising. Uh, interesting that it uh, specifically highlights uh, that it could be used by children, so it should be fairly easy for me to understand the rest of the article. So, what are the principles of matrix gaming? Well, each player uses a set of keywords specific to the game to structure an argument in the format action, result, and three supporting reasons. The game master then judges the strength of the argument and assigns odds, which are resolved by dice throw. There's some Gygaxian tone of disliking problem players. Uh, begin quote. Those who attempt to play to the letter rather than the spirit of the system can be shown the errors of their ways by ruling their arguments weak or very weak. End quote. So far, this is a little bit abstract. I'm kind of seeing how, how it works, but thankfully there's a helpful example just following. And so I'll just quote that. An orc chieftain wishes to capture a mortal settlement. He might present his argument thus. My warband forced marches to the human's village, which is the action, and plunders it before raising it to the ground. Result, because the approach of such a large formation, reason number one, and dread of the Dark Lord, reason two, throws the humans into such a blind panic, reason three, that they flee before us. The Game Master would determine the strength of this argument and roll a die to discover whether it succeeds, as described, as described above. He might explain his decision like this. Since the village is far from the nearest mortal fortress, and no humans are in the vicinity, the inhabitants are defenceless and very likely to flee in the terror when the warband approaches, so the argument is very strong, succeeding for a score of two or more. There's an example list of keywords at the end of the article, and so I want to highlight which of those were used in the example. Firstly, forced march is the keyword for the action. Plunder or lay waste or raise to the ground was used for the result. Large formation or fleet, the keyword for reason one. Uncontrollable fear, dread, blind panic, terror or cowardice used twice for reason two and three. The article further goes on to suggest using degrees of success and failure, how to resolve battles, how to set up a matrix game, further refinements such as various ways of having the keywords assigned via a deck of cards, applying arguments to forces you don't control, how to use magic users, and as I mentioned, an example list of keywords. A really interesting read all up, uh, and if you'd like me to dig further into any of those topics or matrix gaming in general, let me know. I can see how it would be a really great way of resolving conflicts, though in an abstract way and likely requiring at least the game master, but likely also the players to have a fair understanding of the fiction, in the case for fantasy. I feel like this would make for a fun RPG system as well. I can see some similarities between Fate and some story games, but I'm drawing a blank on any games that work exactly like this. I also like the framing here for OSR games. I've read a few systems which handle skills by requiring a number of reasons why you can do something. For example, if you have the skill, the tool, and the time, you just succeed. If you only have two of those, you roll, and one or fewer, it's impossible. I feel like you could replace that for reasons, which perhaps are generated from things that are on your character sheet. Uh, and I think that would make an interesting stand-in stand -in for, a, for a skill system. Anyway, thank you so much for the call on the last show, Sam. Uh, I really enjoyed reading that and digging further into Matrix Gaming.
Now, I would usually provide an update on what I've been up to in the gaming space, but it's been a fairly quiet week. Uh, the orders have all come in for turn two of my war game, and so I've started to plan that out, but I haven't got anything concrete finished yet. And my new in-person DCC game, which I ran the first session of last week, uh, isn't until next week. We're only play fortnightly. Though I am looking forward to taking the players beyond the funnel and into leveled play and seeing what crazy stuff leveled characters in DCC can get up to. I'll likely have more, more to share next week. Uh, so I'm just going to jump into the last segment, content shoutouts. First up, we have Merc the Meek pitching, uh, running a call-in show based on the currently running anime Delicious in Dungeon. You can hear him talk about it more on their show. Daniel over at the Bandit's Keep thinks about adding the bloodied condition to his game. Joe from Hindsightless has finally defined the OSR and continues his sandwich talk. On Roleplay Rescue, Che has an interview talking about the 5% challenge. Some parallels with the Lord of the Rings slow read going on in the audio dungeon at the moment, and last year's Dungeon 23. Daniel and KR talk about whether you should stop to look at rules over on the Monsters and Treasure podcast. On an earlier episode, I spotlighted a new game, Meatheads, a Kickstarter for a print release and accompanying Mega Dungeon is now live. And speaking of Kickstarter, there are a number of great projects live at the moment, especially with ZineQuest. A YouTube channel I've been enjoying lately is Red Mage GM. Typically they do flip-throughs of OSR products and share their thoughts, and the videos are pretty digestible. And finally, the Adventure Site contest that was running over on the Cold Light Press blog has finished, and the reviews for the submissions are coming in, so go check that out. Okay, that's it for this week. Uh, next week, I'll continue the conversation on diegetic advancement by providing some examples of how we can pr improve the system and, and how that makes for better gameplay. I'll likely have some updates on my war game and my DCC session as well. But that is it for today. If anyone is listening, I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me via Spotify, SpeakPipe, Discord, or email. Details, along with everything I've talked about today, are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.